Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is November 14th, 2022. Welcome to episode 153 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, we'll take a look at a volatile last quarter moon in Leo. Mercury and Venus make trines to Jupiter. The Sun trines and Mars squares Neptune. The Sun and Mercury sextile Pluto. And Mercury and Venus enter Sagittarius, playing advance guard for the Sun's entry into Sagittarius season next week. Let's begin with the Moon Report for the week of November 14th. It begins on November 16th with a last quarter moon at 24 degrees and 9 minutes of Leo at 5.27 a.m. Pacific time. The chart for this particular last quarter moon is pretty fractious. It features that last quarter moon in a grand cross configuration where it is square the Sun and Mercury in Scorpio, it's opposed Saturn in Aquarius, and it's square Uranus in Taurus. So everything is opposed or square everything else in this configuration, and that can feel stressful. At the same time, there is a lot of potential for motivation in a chart like this. The difficult part is all of the planets involved in this configuration are in fixed signs. And fixed signs don't like to be hurried. They don't like to be pushed. They want to do things in their own way, in their own time. And they really are stubborn if you push them. So if you're finding that this week among the people around you, that people seem a little more entrenched in their position than usual, you can chalk it up probably to this last quarter moon and this really high energy configuration. On the plus side, the moon at 24 degrees Leo is sextile Mars and Gemini, which is still retrograde. And what this suggests to me is that friends and associates and contacts, especially from the past, because it's a retrograde, will appear or make themselves available when things get stressful and you need some help or will show up to try to help loosen you up from your entrenched position, because Gemini is a lot more flexible. The Sapien symbols for this last quarter moon are 25 Leo, a large camel crossing the desert for the moon, and then the sun is on 25 Scorpio, an X-ray, which I think is one of the best possible Sabian symbols to be in Scorpio. Scorpio really does see through people and situations that are in any way false or inauthentic. So that's a little bit of the tension, I think, around this last quarter moon. We are seeing things the way they are instead of the way we would like them to be. And often we have a vested interest in continuing to see people or situations as we wish they were because we are emotionally reliant on that being true. And if we look at this Sabian symbol of the large camel crossing the desert, what we're seeing is an animal that's incredibly self-sufficient in a very inhospitable environment. 
The myth is that camels carry water in their humps, and they actually don't. They carry fat in their humps, and they can draw on these reserves if they find themselves in a situation where they have to go a long time without nourishment. And the way they use water is they can just drink gallons and gallons and gallons of it before they take off on a journey, and then they store that water in their bloodstream. So in any event, this is a very tough, very self-reliant animal. And if we picture the moon associated with this degree, it speaks of emotional self-reliance and self-sufficiency. When we don't need something particular from a person or from a situation, we're in a much better position to see things clearly and to make decisions based on the reality of what's going on. So it's a really tough last quarter moon chart, but I think that we can be like that large camel crossing the desert and also very tough and self-reliant if we need to be. This is the last critical moment in a lunar phase family cycle that began back in August of 2020 at the new moon in Leo. Here is an opportunity to make one final push towards something that we initiated at that time. And especially intentions around new moons in Leo have to do with creative opportunities, anything that really comes from the heart. So now we have achieved the readiness and the toughness and the self-reliance to make a breakthrough with this. Let's look at the void of course moon periods for this week. On November 14th, the moon in Cancer trines Jupiter at 2.41 a.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about five hours before it enters Leo at 7.43 a.m. Here we have the moon in her strongest sign, in a trine aspect to our most fortunate planet, Jupiter. And so this is a really lovely void, of course, moon for planning family adventures, drafting plans, to expand or improve your home, or even to move someplace new. Jupiter is still retrograde, so it's not the time for final decisions about these things. But during this five-hour period, your intuition is probably unusually strong. So if you're on the west coast of the U.S. where I am, when this will happen when most of us sleep, maybe set a little intention for yourself before bedtime to invite these Jupiterian visions and then try to capture them when you wake up. On November 16th, the moon in Leo makes a square to Mercury at 3.55 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just over one hour before it enters Virgo at 5.03 p.m. This is a brief little void, of course, moon period in which the moon in Leo, which is pretty certain about what it wants and needs, gets information from Mercury that might challenge that certainty. Mercury is still in Scorpio at this point, seeing everything with that X-ray vision. So you might run across some tough truths or negative feedback, maybe about a creative project. But it's okay with the moon in Virgo over the next couple of days, you can address whatever it is that needs fixing. But you couldn't have done that unless you had gotten this information from Mercury. On November 19th, the moon in Virgo opposes Jupiter at 1247 a.m. Pacific time. 
It's Ford, of course, for just over two hours and enters Libra at 2.57 a.m. When the moon is in Virgo, we tend to be a little more cautious and like to proceed through all things incrementally. As the moon opposes Jupiter, a more expansive and exciting view opens up about a recent project or something that you're in the middle of right now. Now, many of us, again, will sleep through this void period. But if you're a night owl or you are across the Atlantic from where I am here, sit with this aspect for a couple of hours and don't let the moon in Virgo shut down the call to adventure, but let it instead temper our excesses because Jupiter is very exuberant and can sometimes get us in over our heads. Since the Sun and Mercury and Venus are all traveling really closely together at the moment, they are making aspects to the same planets this week. So that's how I am grouping things together by the main planets that are being aspected rather than strictly chronologically day to day. So I hope it's not too confusing, but it kind of made sense to do it this way. The Sun and Mars both aspect Neptune this week. While Neptune is on the Sabian symbol for 23 Pisces, a materializing medium, which is also sometimes written as spiritus phenomena, it's an ethereal degree for an ethereal planet. And it's a time when the curtain between this world and the next seems especially thin. The sun trines Neptune on November 14th at 7.43 p.m. Pacific time at 22 degrees and 44 minutes Scorpio. On the Sabian symbol, 23 Scorpio, a bunny metamorphosed into a fairy. So the sun in its annual Scorpio season helps us see what's really going on within ourselves and with others. And if given half a chance, it is a time of year when we can all metamorphose. The bunny in this symbol makes me think of the one in a magician's act. So we can imagine ourselves being put in the hat and then reemerging in another magical form. The trines to Neptune are always indicative of giving in to this process of ease and illusion and letting ourselves be seduced and enticed and lured into this feeling of comfortable unconsciousness. It's really quite different than a lot of the other Scorpio imagery that we've been seeing in recent weeks. On November 19th, Mars squares Neptune at 7.43 a.m. Pacific time. And this is the second of three squares that will form between Mars and Neptune while Mars makes its extended transit through Gemini. The first square was on October 11th, before Mars turned retrograde. And the last will be on March 14th, 2023. So now is the time when trying to manifest Neptune's magic on an earthly Mars plane is going to take some efforts and possibly a little bit of the suspension of disbelief. Mars square Neptune is always a time, too, when I think 
We're called upon to defend what it is we believe in, what we have faith in. So that will be a little bit of a feature of this week as well. This week, Mercury and the Sun will make sextile aspects to Pluto. Mercury sextiles Pluto on November 14th at 6.27 p.m. Pacific time at 26 degrees and 27 minutes of Scorpio and Capricorn. The Sabian symbols for this combination are 27 Scorpio, a military band on the march, and 27 Capricorn, a mountain pilgrimage. And after this very long period of Pluto at this degree, I don't think any of us will ever forget this symbol. So these symbols speak of proceeding with precision along our own particular strenuous path, the mountain pilgrimage. So on the same day that the sun is having its spa day with Neptune on the 14th, our Mercury minds will be shaking hands with Pluto, trying to get focused on what's important and what's real and deploying our minds, our thoughts, our words with force and with power, like that military band, that well-practiced band on the march. Then on November 18th, the sun sextiles Pluto. Now, normally the sun is focused on becoming ever more strongly itself and distinctive, while Pluto is insistent that we need to become something else, something more. So in this sextile aspect between the sun and Pluto, they can find a compromise. What if we make the kinds of Pluto changes that actually make us more fully ourselves? like getting rid of anything that's false or that no longer really suits us. This kind of streamlining is empowering, and that's what Pluto wants. The Sun, Mercury, and Venus all make trine aspects to Jupiter this week attracting connections, ideas, and resources to take our game to the next level. Venus leads the way on November 15th at 1.36 a.m. Pacific time with possibly a nice financial windfall or help from a friend. If you've been wanting to expand your business or go for a new job or promotion or take an ambitious vacation maybe, Venus and Jupiter coming together should bring you some luck. And Jupiter luck is of the nature of thinking positively and being willing to take chances. Mercury then follows with its own trine to Jupiter on November 16th at 7.43 a.m., giving the rational, logistical, analytical skills that we need to make the most of this lucky break. And that's what's nice when Mercury comes together with Jupiter. Jupiter has these great ideas of things we might want to do. And Mercury says, okay, well, what do we need to do to make this a reality? And breaks things down into actionable steps. And as the sun trines Jupiter on November 20th at 8.07 p.m. Pacific time, it gathers some healing and strength and optimism. 
that have been in short supply during this Scorpio season. It is a tough season for the sun. And this is just as the sun is getting ready to slip into its Sagittarius season on the 22nd. Finally, Mercury and Venus both enter Sagittarius this week. Venus enters the sign of the Archer first on November 15th at 10.08 p.m. Pacific time, followed by Mercury on November 17th at 12.42 a.m. Now, Venus always by transit is telling us what will bring us pleasure in the weeks ahead until she enters Capricorn on December 9th. And what Sagittarius takes enormous pleasure in is new experiences, different cultures, new people. It loves novelty and it loves the great outdoors, be it taking a hike or ice skating, if that's happening where you are. And most of all, Sagittarius loves to laugh. So give yourself many opportunities for laughter, maybe a new book. That really makes you belly laugh or watching some comedies or just hanging out with friends who always know how to break you up. Mercury enters Sagittarius on November 17th at 12.42 a.m. and stays there until it enters Capricorn on December 6th. Mercury can run into some problems in Sagittarius because it's the sign of its detriment. It's the sign opposite the one that Mercury rules, which is Gemini. Mercury loves collecting ideas, transient notions, playing with language. It loves to learn, and it's curious about everything. But Sagittarius wants us to sew all these little bits and pieces together to make one big thing, something meaningful. I think I've written of a similar combination before as being a little bit like making a quilt. And Mercury pulls together all the little scraps and bits and pieces and odds and ends. And then Sagittarius designs a pattern for the quilt so that everything can get sewn in together. That's something more than the sum of its parts. For a really good discussion of this idea of planets that are in the signs of their detriment or fall, the signs in which they have a little bit of a difficult time getting their work done, I'd encourage you to go back to episode 139, which was day one of the Potathon. And I had a great discussion with astrologer Mel LaFera about planetary strengths. So go back and listen to that one. She had some really interesting things to say. This week's listener question comes from listener Milton, who writes, What are planetary hours, lunar days, and lunar mansions? And if they are astrological distinctions, how do the astrologically astute make use of them? Well, Milton, of the three systems that you mentioned, planetary hours are really the only ones I have that much familiarity with. In planetary hours, Each hour of the day is ruled by one of the seven classical planets. So the sun through Saturn is a very old system. 
possibly dating all the way back to Babylonian astrology, and was really developed in the Hellenistic system. This system assigns the hours of each day to the planets in order from slowest to fastest moving. So beginning with Saturn, then Jupiter, Mars, the Sun, Venus, Mercury, and the Moon. And they rule the hours of the day in this sequence. Each day of the week is ruled by one of these planets. So the Sun rules Sunday, the Moon rules Monday, Tuesday is ruled by Mars, Wednesday by Mercury, Thursday by Jupiter, Friday by Venus, and Saturday by Saturn. So the first hour of each day, beginning at sunrise, is ruled by that day's planetary ruler. So on Monday, the first hour of the day is ruled by the moon, and that's the fastest moving planet. So then in the next hour, the planetary order then begins again with the slowest moving planet, Saturn, which rules the second hour of Monday after sunrise. The hours are then ruled successively by Jupiter, Mars, the Sun, Venus, and Mercury, and again the Moon, in order. So that's what they are. How are they used? I have seen them used in astrological magic, for electional astrology, which is when you choose or elect a particular moment to take an action. And I've also seen them used for performing rituals or observances that are related to a particular planet. For example, Kelly Surtees, a wonderful astrologer, shared an article about a Saturn ritual that she used that was initiated during the Saturn hour of Saturn's day and then repeated during Saturn's hour on each successive day. The idea of an observance like this is to attract the very most positive qualities of the planet. In this case, Saturn's attributes like perseverance, self-discipline, constancy. It was a really inspiring post, and I did this ritual myself for a while with really interesting results. I will link to Kelly's article in the show notes. I think you'd enjoy reading it. Another friend, Dana Gerhardt, writes about a Santeria ritual that she performs periodically for Venus-related matters like love and money. She chooses a Friday, which is a Venus day, during the season that the sun is also in Taurus, and that's the day that she performs the ritual. And I imagine that you could boost the symbolism even more by performing the ritual during Venus's hour. So I will link to that in the show notes as well. I have done that ritual myself before a couple of times with pretty amazing results, I have to say. Now, as for the lunar mansions, there are 28 lunar mansions, and these are commonly used really in Vedic astrology. Lunar mansions divide the 360-degree wheel by the moon's average motion, which is 12 degrees, 51 minutes, and 26 seconds per day. And this gives us 28 distinct positions that the moon can occupy in the sky on any given night, one for each night of the lunar month. Each of these mansions is associated with a particular star and has particular characteristics. 
that make it well-suited to particular electional or ritual purposes and attuned to particular talismanic properties. In the show notes, I'll link to Ryan Butler's Medieval Astrology Guide website and a specific entry on the lunar mansions that I found really helpful. And then finally, lunar days are counted from the moment of the new moon, when the sun and the moon, of course, come together at the same degree of the same sign. Each lunar day following that, until the next new moon, begins at moonrise in the given location where you are. So lunar days are location-specific. And the first lunar day can be really short. If you have a new moon just before the moon comes up, then your first lunar day is going to be really short. Now, each lunar day is favored for particular activities. And each of these days is associated with particular symbols, parts of the body, even precious stones. I found a particularly interesting article about that. I really knew nothing about the lunar days, frankly, Milton, before you mentioned them. So I found them interesting to read about. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And by the way, you can find the show notes in your app of choice. They should show up in the entry for this episode. But you can always go to the website, bigskyastropod.com. And we have the full show notes with all the links, a full transcript and everything. Anyway, thank you for the question, Milton, and I hope that helps. If you have a particular question about astrology that you would like to have me answer on a future episode, you can leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast, or just email me, april at bigskyastrology.com, and do be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, I hope that you'll subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. It is by far the most helpful thing that you can do to help others find the show. Readings and reviews are always welcome. And I'd love it if you just help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts, as I said, or leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. I want to thank everybody who's shown support for the podcast over the past year, including during the recent Podathon. And each week, I'm thanking some of you by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Jennifer Lukehart and Sarah Eves. Jennifer and Sarah, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you enjoy the show and would like to make a donation, and if you'd like to receive my recent bonus donors-only episode for the Libra Equinox, as well as the bonuses I have coming up for the Solstices and for the Aries Equinox, please just go to BigSkyAstropod.com 
and donate $10 or more, and we'll be sure to send those out to you. That is it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes. And please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.